everywhere you look in the law, we are learning about God Himself. He is the same God that sits under the law of the New Testament, all of the commands and the imperatives in the New Testament which are binding on you as a Christian. It is the same God, no difference in character. This is Timeless Truth Today, and I'm your host, Matt Williams. Welcome to part one of Faith and Poverty, a two-part series from Pastor Paul Twiss. Let me ask you a question. Do you read the Bible regularly? And if so, what parts do you tend to read? The Gospels? The stories of Jesus? Maybe the Proverbs? Some Psalms? What do you learn about God from your reading? Have you ever tried learning about God from the books of the law in the Old Testament, like Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy? Can we really learn anything about what is important to God from these laws and commandments? In his two-part series, Faith and Poverty, Pastor Paul tells us how God's law reveals a lot about his character, such as how we treat people on the fringes of society. What does this tell us about God? What does it tell us about ourselves? Here's part one. We'll begin this morning in Deuteronomy chapter 15. Uh, Deuteronomy 15, we continue in this series about the expression, application of faith. And we'll begin this morning at verse 7, reading through to verse 11. Deuteronomy 15, verse 7, the word of the Lord says, If any among you, one of your brothers, should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart. Or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Take care lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart, and you say, the seventh year, the year of release is near, and your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother, and you give him nothing. And he cried to the Lord against you, and you be guilty of sin. You shall give to him freely. And your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him, because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. The social gospel is a movement, a theology that has gained much momentum in recent years. It is a movement, a theology that says our responsibility as Christians is to extend the kingdom by infiltrating all segments of society with preference given to the poor and allowing no dichotomy between evangelism and social transformation. It's a quote from a well-known author. No dichotomy between evangelism and social transformation. So the social gospel espouses that social transformation carries equal weight in God's plan of redemptive history as simply proclaiming the gospel. If I have understood this ministry context rightly, I would say that our danger is not that of embracing the social gospel. 
As you preach a sermon on faith and the poor in different ministry contexts, the application would invariably sound different. Probably the same text, probably the same interpretation, certainly, but the application would differ. In this ministry context, I think our danger is not that we would embrace the social gospel and say, feeding the poor is tantamount to proclaiming the gospel. Our danger would be that we simply labor on the proclamation of God's word, that is, express the gospel, and we don't leave much room for demonstrating the gospel. With that in mind, I want to tease out our responsibility today to simply demonstrate the gospel, particularly as it relates to the poor. And by poor, I would add a definition of those that are around you who have less than you. It's very easy to think of the man on the street, smells bad, doesn't have anything, no job, no home, maybe a shopping cart full of stuff. Maybe that's where your thoughts go. I want you to think about the poor as anyone around you who has less than you, who doesn't have what you might consider to be the norm in this society. The Bible speaks much to this issue. This morning, just three texts. It's not by any way exhaustive. This morning, we'll look at three texts and think about how they intersect with our responsibility to live by faith. And it's not necessarily that these texts are going to revolutionize your thinking on how we interact with the poor. It may not fundamentally change your theology with respect to the impoverished, but hopefully it will be a reminder and a challenge to live out the theology that you would affirm. We begin in Deuteronomy chapter 15, and I've called this the foundation. The foundation. We are in the law. Deuteronomy is a book where God gives his covenant to his people prior to entering to the land. Many of the chapters in this book are law. And I know that as you read these chapters and similar chapters in Leviticus and Exodus, as they come up in your reading plan, the question you ask is, how much can I skim this chapter? And God still accepts it to be a valid quiet time. I understand that. We struggle to understand the relevance of these kind of chapters to our life. They seem so unrelated to the kind of epistle, New Testament stuff that we love to be reading. One point to say that might help you and that is pertinent to our study of the poor today, every time you read the law, you need to understand that underneath this law is the same God of the New Testament, the God of your salvation. And so every time you read an imperative, every time you read an instruction, every time you read a, a law given in the Old Testament, regardless of whether you think it definitely is binding on you or not, and there are different schools of thought about that, you do need to understand that it is giving expression to the character of God. The law gives expression to a holy, almighty, sovereign, and perfect God. He says, don't commit adultery. Fundamentally, the reason that we have that command is because God is a faithful God. So that law fits exactly with his character. He says, you must not steal. The reason being is that we have a just God. And so on and so on we could go Everywhere you look in the law, we are learning about God himself. 
He is the same God that sits under the law of the New Testament, all of the commands and the imperatives in the New Testament, which are binding on you as a Christian. It is the same God, no difference in character. He is the God of your salvation. And thus we have a great opportunity to learn about him in these texts that we would not be prone to go to, particularly as we read Deuteronomy 15 and we see the instruction, you shall not harden your heart towards the poor. God is not hard-hearted towards the poor. God loves the widow and the orphan, and he loves the poor. This one text in Deuteronomy is laying the foundation upon which all other texts in the Bible that speak about the poor build. That's why in Proverbs we can read, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker. Can you see that connection? Because the law gives expression to the character of God. So Solomon says, whoever oppresses a poor man insults God. And here's the connection that you need to make. In so much as you have been called to be an image bearer of God, then you also are to love the poor. Your responsibility as a Christian is to be an image bearer of the God who saved you, to show the world what he is like, to put God on display. And if it's true that he loves the poor, then you must love the poor. And so I can ask you, how is your heart towards the poor? Now, I'm not asking right now questions of practical interactions. I'm not asking you whether you should give or not give. I'm not asking you whether it's wise in this scenario to give money and this scenario not to give money. I'm not asking you questions about whether you invest your time in this particular opportunity or you don't. I'm asking you a heart issue. Is your heart hardened towards the poor? When that drunk comes up to you and he stinks and he's in your way and you just want to get on with your day, what's the inclination of your heart towards him? God wants you to put him on display. And he says that he has a soft heart towards the poor. And the text does continue to a practical application of this softened heart. You shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother. So we could summarize that command given in the law to having soft hearts and open hands. And as we think about the practical application of that verse, I want to make another observation about how we interact with the Old Testament law. Not only is it true that all of the Old Testament law gives expression to the character of God, it is also true that within the law you have horizontal commands and vertical commands. As you study the law, you see that there are many commands which are concerning those around you, they're what I call horizontal commands, and there are many commands in the law that are vertical, that is, to do with your interaction and relationship with the Lord. So we have, love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and we have, do not covet your neighbor. We have, do not take his name in vain, that is, the Lord, and we have, honor the name of your mother and father. There are imperatives on both dimensions. The point I want you to understand is that they are tightly connected. One flows out of the other. 
there is a connection between the vertical commands and the horizontal commands. Even as we think about this section in Deuteronomy, the broader theme of this passage is the covenant people bringing tribute to their king, namely God. That's the section that this chapter 15 falls in, in the book of Deuteronomy. That's really interesting because within the section that talks about bringing tribute to the king, we find instruction about giving to the poor. God is saying, your expression of tribute to me is giving to those around you who don't have as much. The vertical and the horizontal are connected so that what you do with your mouth and what you do with your hands and what you do with your feet testifies to your relationship with God. Now, one of the problems of the social justice gospel is that it overemphasizes the horizontal. It does overemphasize the imperative to, to be engaged with the horizontal to the detriment of the vertical. But again, that's not the issue in this ministry context, I don't think. The danger that we have, typically, is that we would emphasize the vertical without proper consideration of the horizontal. We would proclaim God, yes and amen, but we don't really think well enough about how we represent him in the community. At this point, I am aware that there are probably many of you who are thinking of some excuses. There are many excuses we can have. I would respond and say it's right to draw some lines, not make excuses, but it is right to draw some lines, lines that Scripture draws. They're not black and white, they're soft lines. For example, one line, as you will have seen in this text, it does say, shut your hand against your poor brother. And it would be true to say that often in Scripture, not always, but often, passages that speak about giving to the poor, caring for the poor, are addressing those poor within the household of God. Not always. And it's not exclusive. We do well to remember Galatians 6.10, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are the household of faith. It's not exclusive, it's just a matter of priority. Another line that we could draw is the fact that often in the Old Testament, when God speaks about giving to the poor, there is a certain assumption that the poor are righteous. There are other texts that deal with the lazy poor and the wicked poor and the arrogant poor. But again, it's not total and it's not exclusive. There is an emphasis on your responsibility without necessarily being the judge and the arbiter of how it is they got in that situation and what they might do with the gift that you give them. There is another line that we could draw between the individual and the corporate. So I think that it's right that the corporate, in our context, that would be this local body, interacts with the poor in a different way to how the individual might interact with the poor, that is, you. I think it's absolutely right that the, the priority of this church is the proclamation of the gospel and that we don't lose focus of that in some kind of effort to alleviate immediate suffering. Yes, but that's different to how you as an individual would interact with the poor. And I would say if you're not the preacher, you got some time to give to the horizontal, tangible relief of suffering. All of these lines are not black and white. They are not as hard and as fast as you would like to make them. 
and understand that they are never given in Scripture as a means of stopping us caring for the poor. God does not give us the contours of Scripture as it relates to the poor as a means of preventing us for caring for them. They are always given in order to enable us to better give to them. The lines are always given so as to inform our thinking, so as to sharpen our biblical worldview, so that as we interact with the poor, we're doing it the very best we can. I think God anticipates the fact that we would make excuses. Look at verse 9. He says, Take care, lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart, and you say, The seventh year, the year of release is near, and your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother, and you give him nothing, and he cried to the Lord against you, and you be guilty of sin. What's going on here? At a principal level, it is dealing with the issue of excuses. In this context, the sabbatical year, every seventh year, was a year when certain things happened, including a relief of debt. So if you had lent to someone, and in seven years they'd been unable to repay it, on the seventh year, they're released from that obligation, and they no longer have to pay you back. And so God anticipates the excuse that we would come up with in our flesh, and we would say, he's asking that the, the poor person is right here, and I have an opportunity to give to him, but... We're just a few months off the seventh year. And so I know if I give to him now, there is a very small chance I'll see my money again. He's not going to have the time to get the money together to pay me back. God says, be careful. In fact, verse 10, he says, you shall give to him freely. God anticipates that we would make excuses. And he says in response, it's okay. This is where I would invoke the principle of faith. We're thinking through a right application of faith in our lives in different areas. Here's where I think your interaction with the poor, in whatever manifestation that might be, is always going to be for you an issue of faith, and rightly so. I think we tend to pass the issue too finely. I'm not going to give to him because... He doesn't really want food. He's going to go and spend it on drugs or alcohol. I'm not going to give to him because I think his sob story is actually a lie. I'm not going to give to him because right now in this scenario, I don't have the opportunity to share the gospel with him and it's just going to have to be an interaction of cash. Just let go of all of your excuses and understand that there is a sense in which your interaction with the poor for you is an issue of faith. You trust that God is sovereign over this interaction. You trust that God is in control. If this person is taking advantage of you, he will answer to God. Your responsibility is to have a soft heart and an open hand. Now, does that mean that you're going to give to every single person in every single scenario in the same way every single time? Of course not. Here is where you need to think through the issue. So often we divorce faith with thinking. There's this kind of wonky theology that living by faith means we don't employ our brains. It honors the Lord to think well. 
And having thought well, we move forward trusting him. Faith and thinking go hand in hand. And the Lord has given us much theology in his word concerning the poor. And we have a responsibility before him to search the scriptures, to put it all together, to develop a well-rounded theology of how we interact with those that don't have the same opportunities as us. And we move forward in faith. And I would recommend that you think through certain scenarios before they come upon you. If you're here in LA for any period of time, I can guarantee you that at some point, somebody's going to come up to you at a gas station and ask for money. If you're here for any period of time, I guarantee you, you'll come out of Ralph's or Target and somebody will be there asking you for money. Think through beforehand how you're going to respond. Reason it with what the Bible says. And be careful that you do not come up with excuses that are born out of having a hard heart towards the poor. Just to show you how prone we are to doing this, look at verse 11. There will never cease to be poor in the land. Now, just prior to that in verse 10, God again, he has said, you shall give to him. You shall not give grudgingly. The Lord will bless you for there will never cease to be poor in the land. I wonder if that sounds familiar to you. When Jesus said in the Gospels, the poor will always be with you, he's drawing on Deuteronomy chapter 15. He knows the law, and he's going back to the law in order to talk about the poor. And what he's saying is exactly the same as what Moses is saying, which is the fact they're always here means you always have an opportunity. You always have an opportunity to give and to be warm and to image God and to be those who walk by faith. And how twisted are we that we use that text as a means of not giving? So often that's the text that we quote to say, I'm not going to give this time because the poor will always be with us. Scripture uses it in exactly the opposite sense. Jesus says, one reason to not give to the poor. One reason to set aside the poor for a period of time. And that reason was Jesus' first coming. And we missed it. He's not here. So therefore, get on with the work of the ministry, part of which is a warm heart, an open hand towards the poor, acting in faith, taking opportunity to image God Understanding that we don't need to have all the details. Friends, look around you in this church, how blessed we are to have such a diverse body. This local church, this expression of the body of Christ is so diverse. Look around you to see who God has placed in your life, in your small sphere of influence, Think about that, that member of your Bible study who's working three jobs just to make ends meet, and they don't know whether they can pay rent this month. Consider how you might help them. Go beyond this church and think about your job and your commute and all of your daily routines and all of those people that you pass, all of whom are an opportunity in so much as you would put them in that category of being poor, impoverished, there is an opportunity that you have to image God and to act in faith. 
You're listening to Timeless Truth Today. There's a saying that you can tell a lot about someone's character by how they treat someone that can't benefit them. We just learned that God cares a lot about the poor. And why would he want us to act the same? What does that tell you about him? What has God done for your poverty of spirit? How is that reflected in how you treat those poorer than you? If you'd like to learn more about God's character, visit our website, TimelessTruthToday.org, TimelessTruthToday.org. On the homepage, select Broadcasts for an audio archive of these messages. Timeless Truth Today is a teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Twist, a listener-supported outreach of Bethany Bible Church in Thousand Oaks, California. If you don't have a home church, you're invited to come worship with us Sundays at 10.30 a.m. The church is located at 200 West Bethany Court in Thousand Oaks. Listen tomorrow for the second part in this two-part series of Faith and Poverty. I'm Matt Williams. Thank you for listening to Timeless Truth Today.